Hi there. Welcome to Semester 7, Episode 9 of the Ivy Wise Just Admitted podcast, where former deans and directors of admissions give expert insight into the complex college admissions landscape. This season, we're cracking the code, translating common admissions speak. This means we'll be decoding and defining some commonly used admissions language and terms. I'm Tasha, your host. I'm an admissions counselor at IvyWise, a former international admissions officer at USC, and former assistant director of international admissions at Boston University. My guest today is Carolyn. She's former admissions officer at Vanderbilt University and an IvyWise master counselor. Hi, Carolyn. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. I know it's your first time this season, but you've been on the show in past seasons, correct? Yes, that is correct. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. And um, this is our second to last episode of the season. So definitely stick around for the final one before the holiday break. We'll give you a little teaser at the end. Uh, But today we'll be tackling our second to last commonly used admissions term. And that term is yield. So we'll be answering the question, what is yield and why does it matter? All right, this is a juicy one. It's one that is becoming increasingly important as we calculate and strategize and think about how to uh, counsel our students and how they should be approaching the college application process. So let's get right into it with just the, the basics, the first part of the question. How can we define the word yield actually outside of the admissions context? If you were to look it up in a dictionary, Carolyn, what would you find? Yeah, absolutely. So outside of admissions, um, yield generally means sort of the return on investment or sort of the output that you get for a certain amount of input. This is different from the like traffic sign yield, like slow down, make way for others. (laughs) This kind of yield is more what you get out of a certain amount of work or a certain amount of input. So you hear it a lot in terms of like agriculture, like this season yielded a certain amount of crops. Um, Or you could say, you know, a five-hour study session yielded um, a 10-page paper. It's basically what you get out of putting a certain amount of work or resources, et cetera, into an effort. And and that's exactly right. But I do just want to say that traffic sign yield definition is also important. Make sure you're yielding yes, to your pedestrians absolutely. and your yeah. cyclists, everyone. <laughs> uh, but that's right. It, it is you know, inherently kind of an economic term. Just wanted to kind of start with that. You know, what what does this word even mean? And then how are we going to apply it to our context? So let's go ahead and do that. What does yield mean within an admissions context? So in sort of the grand scheme of things, thinking about the definition that we just talked about, yield is basically what the admissions um, efforts get out of everything that they put into it. It is the students that accept the offers of admission and enroll. Um, From a literal standpoint, when we refer to yield within college admissions, you're, you're literally talking about the percent of students that were admitted to a school that end up enrolling at that school. Um, So what happens is colleges go out and recruit, they get a certain number of applications, they evaluate those applications, they admit a certain percentage of those students, and then they go and they go back into recruitment mode um, and try to get as many of the students that they've accepted to choose their school under the assumption that most of the students who have been accepted have also been accepted to other universities so that they have a choice to make. Um, So when they're talking about yield, when colleges are referring to yield, they're talking about what percent of the students 
that they accepted, choose their school and end up enrolling. And so in that sense, it is very much a measurement of their success in the admissions process and also a reflection of sort of the quality of the university and its reputation as a whole. So I think that that was a really, really great definition. And the only thing I would add is that yield is, and we'll talk more about it, but, you know, yield is becoming um, ever more important as colleges start to really want to make sure that they don't get it wrong, right? Um, And part of that is that there have been so many new uh, unexpected factors that have come into the mix in the last few years uh, that have kind of thrown colleges off for the yield that they've expected in the past or the kind of um, models and calculations that they've made. It's actually very statistical. There's there's statisticians working on this. Um, And so I just wanted to throw out there that, you know, that's what it means in the college admissions context, but also that it is uh, right now specifically having a particular moment. So why does yield matter beyond that basic definition? Yeah, absolutely. And I think to what you were saying before in that yield is becoming more and more of a buzzword within admissions, yield has always been around. Yield has always existed as long as college admissions have existed. Um, But what we're finding as the process gets more complex and more elaborate and, and more changes are thrown at it and people are really starting to strategize the process and yield is all about strategy. So yield is one of the things that that people talk about when they really want to sort of get into the weeds of how this whole process works. Um, In terms of why it's important from a process standpoint, colleges will use their historical yield to decide how many students they need to accept in order to get the class that they want. Um, So for example, if I'm working at a university um, and historically we yield about 50%, meaning if we accept a thousand students, then 500 students will enroll. Well, I want a class of 2000 students. So that tells me that I need to admit about 4,000 students with the assumption that about 50% will accept it. And now I have the class size that I want. So from a process standpoint, it's really important to colleges to help them predict based on historical data, um, how their process is going to turn out. Because they can't just accept like willy-nilly however many students they want. They have specific targets when it comes to those numbers. Um, In theory, like I said before, yield is a measurement of the quality of a school and the support that is offered by that school to potential students. So if uh, X number of students across the country are all admitted to this particular university and they all have other options as well, the higher the percentage of those students who choose that particular university tells you that there's something great about it, right? There's a reason why they've chosen it over the others. And so a school with a high yield from a very generalized standpoint tends to be more respected, more reputable. The assumption is that the academic rigor is higher, that the supports are higher. Um, And for that reason, yield factors into college rankings, which is another buzz term that we hear more and more, um, both directly and indirectly. The higher your your yield is, um, the higher your overall college ranking is going to be. And of course, rankings is cyclical, then impact for the recruitment, the impact, the yield in the next year. Um, It's very much a cycle. 
I will point out that it's important to know that all that being said, yield, like I said, is very highly strategized by college admissions offices. So yes, a higher yield will generally reflect the quality and the reputation of a school, but it's also going to be impacted by um, policies that are put in place and, and strategic actions that admissions offices take in order to keep those numbers as high as possible. So I think that something that's a little bit tricky to talk about is is motives, right? So, you know, at the end of the day, um, colleges are nonprofits for the most part, but they are businesses. Uh, mm -hmm. They are kind of trying to figure out how they can make things work without wasting resources or without overpromising resources that they don't have. So, for example, if you over-enroll a class, you have too many students and not enough dorm rooms. Uh, if, if you're a college that promises um, housing for all first years, for example. Uh, so, so the motives behind getting yield right are, or predicting yield right are, are pretty high, right? Like colleges don't want to make a mistake that will impact their constituents, including, of course, their students and um, applicants. And so um, that's something to keep, keep in mind. But at the same time, colleges are also motivated by um, factors that encourage them to want to keep their yield high, right? They want to make sure that students are, for the most part, enrolling if they are admitted. So mm -hmm. why? What would would a college's motive be around wanting to keep yield high? That's a, that's a great question. And I think the more cynical question mark maybe response to that really has a lot to do with the rankings. Um, I think that, you know, that could be a whole other conversation itself, all the factors that go into college rankings and, and how that shapes the way admissions works in our country. But um, yield does factor into where you are on the grand U.S. news rankings and, and a few of the others as well. Um, the higher you are in the rankings, the more applications you receive the next year, the lower your selectivity, the higher your rankings. Like I said, it's a bit of a cycle. And, and that factors into financial components as well. They need um, donations. They need funding in order to provide all of these wonderful things for students. Um, and a lot of bond ratings and donation rates and things are connected to those rankings. So from sort of a, a financial cause and effect, there is sort of that, that level of motivation. Um, but at the same time, from a from a standpoint of we we just want the students that we've accepted to come to our school. Um, I can tell you from an admissions officer's perspective, um, I put a lot of work into recruiting these students and to getting them to apply and supporting them through the process. And then I chose them and I advocated for them. And of course, I want them to end up um, on our campus. So there's the the more logistical motivation, but there's also the um, the more mm, emotional, educational side to it as well. I know that you framed that as as potentially cynical, but I think, you know, I think it's just real, right? It's yep. the reality of the, the landscape that we're in. And I think uh, the, the rankings are still extremely, extremely influential, um, you know, especially internationally as students are looking at schools that they've heard of or that, um, you know, come up at the top of those lists. And so ultimately, you know, the schools at the highest end of those lists are going to be schools with very, very high yields. So we're setting the scene but you know if I were a prospective student listening to this I'd think like okay sure like math statistics people in a boardroom trying to make decisions based on you know all this information that they have but what does that what does that mean to me how does that affect me as a prospective student 
how does that affect a prospective student? You know, should students applying to college be thinking about yield and how should they be thinking about yield? I think my my response to this is sort of like maybe question mark a little bit. I don't necessarily think that students need to have an in-depth understanding of um, yield and motivations behind yield and strategies for yield beyond just understanding the process, which is which is good in its own right. I do think that it's important to understand that at certain points of the process, colleges are advertising to you. And so understanding, like you were saying before, motivations behind some of these strategies, um, there is a bit of a shift in power back and forth throughout this process. So you think about your junior year, the first little bit of your senior year, colleges are recruiting you. They're trying to get you to apply. Here are all the wonderful things about us. Come to our school, visit our school, will apply to our school. And then once you do decide to apply, the power shifts, right? Now I, as a student, um, am trying to convince the college, here are all the wonderful things about me. Please accept me. Please accept me. Once they accept you, that power shifts back because now they're saying, okay, we've accepted you. Please come to our school. Please come to our school. Please come to our school. Um, and so in those parts of the process where the college is really trying to convince you to do something, it's important to understand that that is the motivation behind a lot of what they're doing. Um, basically, what all that means is... Um, approach the communications and the efforts that are coming at you from the college the same way you would an advertisement in a newspaper. Of course, the, that product might actually be exactly what you need and the information in that advertisement may be helpful to you, but it's also important to keep in mind that they're trying to convince you to do something. And so I always encourage students to just be aware of that and really ground themselves in what is important to you as a student in terms of what you're looking for in a college. It can be very easy to read a lot of shiny brochures and, and get exciting emails from admissions counselors and start to think that what that school is offering is what you want because they're doing a really good job of convincing you of that. Where I see this being the biggest concern is for those early action acceptances. If you're accepted to a school early, you get your decision early, and you then have until May to make your decision, that's great. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of flexibility that you have. That also means that that school has until May to convince you that their school is the best option for you. And I've had some students in the past that have committed, I think, too soon to a school because they're just being bombarded by all sorts of communication and recruitment, and we want you and you're amazing for from a college, but they don't even know whether or not the other schools have accepted them yet. So just being aware of sort of the motivation behind some of those communications and understanding like, yes, it's great that the college wants me, but I need to take a step back, take my time and make sure I'm making my decision based on what I want and not what um, the school is convincing me to want. I think in addition to that, it's important to be aware of some of the things that could help you in this process. Um, we'll talk a little bit about what colleges do in order to increase their yield. Um, but things like demonstrated interest. A school, in some cases, may be more likely to accept you because they think that you're going to enroll. Having that information can be helpful um, in helping you strategize. Well, in order to increase my acceptance to the school, um, I can go and demonstrate my interest and make sure that they know that I'm really excited to attend. So there are some pieces of it that can be helpful in terms of strategy. But in general, just knowing sort of what the motivations are behind a lot of what the school is doing uh, can be really helpful. So something that I think of when it comes to, to those different motivations, 
uh, on the student side, actually, are the different application types that a student can choose from. And I think that is one of the one of the ways that a student can consider yield, although I would I would discourage them from getting too in the weeds about it. Uh, when it comes to early applications, especially when it comes to binding applications, um, and that's a, an extreme case, but then when it comes to, um, you know, early action and other options where you are in this, in essence, letting, like really giving demonstrated interest, which of course is going to affect yield. I think, and that's where there's a very fine line between understanding the process knowing all of the vocabulary that we're talking about here, understanding the motivations and sort of what's happening behind the scenes and going so far as to overthink and over strategize. And now this becomes a game about maximizing outcomes as opposed to finding the best fit school for you. Right. So, so you have to kind of be careful about um, yes, applying early action to a school will, will help me to demonstrate interest because I know they're, invested in yield, I know that my chances are higher for early action. Um, that's one thing. Another thing entirely is I'm going to apply early decision to the school that I don't really even care that much about because it has the lowest selectivity right now and to maximize my chances. Well, now you're committed potentially to a school that you're not excited about, or you missed out on early decision um, benefits for a school that you really are invested in. So a lot of it is about balancing that knowledge of the process and the strategy with um, just following your heart and, and doing the things that you know are going to be the best outcome for you specifically. Exactly, exactly. So that's where it's important to to not make those decisions solely based on these kind of like numbers based yep. strategies. Absolutely. The other thing that I wanted to say in regards to why it might be helpful for students to be aware of yield um, is just understanding that once you have been accepted by a school, we talked about those power shifts, you now have the power. Um, that doesn't mean you should call them up and like rattle off a list of demands of all the things that you need in order to accept their offer. But um, if you have questions or need help, ask. Um, if you need an extension for your enrollment deadline, ask if the financial aid package isn't quite enough, call the financial aid office and ask if um, a renegotiation is possible. Um, they might say no, but but keep in mind that their goal right now is to get as many of the students who have been accepted to enroll. So you have a little bit more leverage during that period of time than you might otherwise, because those offices are, are going to be really focused on yield. So I know I already kind of alluded to uh, some recent changes, but I want to really dig into that now. So as Carolyn said earlier, yield has always been part of the admissions conversation, has always been one of these terms that gets thrown around, but it's a little bit more in the zeitgeist excuse me, yeah. uh, nowadays uh, because of these changes uh, kind of in the greater landscape. So I'd love to talk about some examples of changes that colleges have made in their admissions and enrollment practices due to changes in yield or in trends in yield. Uh, but yeah. first, you know, I think it's important to frame it within, you know, what has affected those changes and trends in yield. So um, I think flashing back a little bit, if you'll forgive me to 2020, I know it's not the most delightful time to flash back to, but um, when the pandemic hit, it there was a ripple effect 
um, obviously across the planet in every different field, but thinking specifically about college admissions, um, there was just a lot of uncertainty combined with a lot of panic combined with a lot of free time. And that was just not a great combination of, of things when it comes to high school students and colleges. One thing that we saw is that um, students applied to more schools per student, thinking specifically about the, the more highly selective schools. Students were submitting more applications per student than they had in the past um, for a lot of different reasons. One, a lot of schools were now test optional, and so they felt like their their options were a little bit broader than they had been in the past. Um, two, they're doing school from home, and some students had much less free time if they had to get jobs, if they had to take care of sick family members. But a lot of students had a lot more free time. They didn't have to take on those responsibilities. So they had more time to get those applications done. And there was just a general level of uncertainty. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how test optional is going to affect things. And so let's just apply to as many schools as possible and hedge our bets and we'll see what happens. In response, there was then a lot of uncertainty on the college side. A lot of schools had never gotten that many applications before. Most of them had never admitted students through a test optional process before. And so a lot of that historical yield and admissions data that we talked about wasn't that relevant anymore, or they didn't know how relevant it was. And so it was a lot of, we don't know how many students that we need to accept in order to get the amount of enrollment that we need. We don't know what yield is going to look like. We don't know how all of these factors are going to impact yield and the numbers that come out of it. So a lot of schools in response to that uncertainty accepted fewer students on the front end, waitlisted more students, deferred more students, um, just as a way to sort of slow the process down and, and admit more um, step by step to, to make sure that they could get to their target enrollments. Um, and so I think that things have um, I hesitate to say settled down since then, but but they at least have a couple of years data on what yield looks like in a world where students are applying to more schools and, and applying without tests. And so I think some of those trends have settled a little bit, um, but definitely the process was shook up. And so the historical yield data that they had from pre-2020 just isn't quite as relevant anymore. And then you have things like um, testing being less important in the rankings. So now is yield more important? How does this all impact the reputation piece of, of rankings and yield and all of that? There's just a lot of uncertainty and a lot of everyone sort of trying to re-figure out how this process works um, in a post-COVID world. I think the other big change, obviously, in this past year is the removal of affirmative action from the process. I mean, my goodness, if you know anybody who's working in admissions, like give them a hug. This is the second time in the last few years that they've had to completely change the way they do admissions and, and with very short notice. Um, and so I think there will be a lot more uncertainty there. I think there will also probably be and this is me looking at my crystal ball. I have no evidence of this other than just my own deductive reasoning. I think there will be a lot of targeted yield work around underrepresented students. Schools cannot factor race and ethnicity into the admissions process, but there's nothing that says they can't factor it into the yield process. So I imagine there will be even more so than there already are recruitment events specifically for underrepresented students, for racial minorities, for, um, you know, the, the specific the specific populations of students um, that they would be 
typically looking for in the admissions process. I expect that a lot of schools will start looking at them more heavily in the yield process, but that's just my guess. We'll see what happens. Yeah, Carolyn, I actually, you know, hadn't even thought about that. A lot of schools do um, targeted recruitment in the fall uh, to get students to apply, but then of course they do a lot of targeted yield programming, as they call it, in the spring uh, to get students to ultimately enroll. And I hadn't considered how, um, you know, they might be pivoting to to respond directly to the uh, Supreme Court ruling. So I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, Definitely not a crystal ball, but more of a pretty, pretty fair guess. (laughs) I did just want to add that, um, you know, in addition to test optional, that was definitely one of the biggest, biggest changes in the admissions process during uh, the first couple of years of COVID. Now, of course, the majority of schools are still test optional, but many or several have gone back to requiring testing, especially some of the larger public state schools. But in the year 2020 uh, and 2021, for many places, a big change was that school was online, right? That students maybe had pass-fail grades, um, just even the landscape of their transcripts and what their coursework looked like had also changed. There was a, there were a larger amount of applications because this large barrier to entry of tests had been removed. And so then it was a lot harder to guess who in that pool would ultimately enroll when that pool looked so different than it had in years past. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, time will tell. I anticipate five or 10 years from now, the most popular topic of of academic research will be all things pandemic. What happened during the pandemic? Thinking about college admissions, we'll have data on um, did students who submitted applications without test scores yield more than students with? Did students who um, had pass-fail courses yield or apply at higher rates than than students who maintained regular grades? I mean, there are lots of things to um, retroactively study once we have um, a lot of data. Right now, it's it's very anecdotal, sort of what we're hearing from the people who are still in the field and, and what, they're, what they have the time to get out to us. I also always want to note when we're talking about COVID trends, um, we really are talking about Um, a very specific type of school. Um, The more highly selective schools received an influx of applications, the more highly selective schools were able to be more strategic about their yield. If you look at less selective or non-selective schools, their application numbers actually decreased drastically. It's a very different story um, when you're looking at sort of the other end of higher education. Um, So I think that's important context. But, But yeah, I think there are a lot of different factors that so many things changed all at once um, that we just don't know yet, or maybe we will ever, what impacted what, what caused what, um, and and hopefully it all shook out the way it would have otherwise, or, or maybe even better than it would have otherwise. But um, yeah, certainly a lot of moving pieces there. Thank you so much for bringing that up, Carolyn. It, it is really important to remember that for the most part, these conversations that we have on Just Admit It are are talking about highly selective or selective college admissions. There are some cases in which we may widen the scope a little bit and discuss, you know, other options. But for the most part, we are talking about the the generally more selective process. And we also talk about this understandably in terms of large trends, but a lot of these 
um, policies and the changes that we're talking about could happen at any institution from year to year, depending on leadership and trends in the community, trends on the state. You know, a school might get a new dean of enrollment management and they decide they want to boost their ranking. So they drastically change the way they do yield. And, and that's just that one school. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty here in terms of we don't always know. We very rarely know what's going on behind the scenes. So there are certainly large scale trends, but also just know that um, a lot of things change in this process from year to year, from school to school for a variety of different reasons. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, now that we've talked about how important yield is, <laughs> I'm going to flip that on its head a little bit and ask, you know, can focusing too much on yield have negative consequences for an applicant? And could it be a potential distraction for them? Absolutely. And, and it kind of goes back to what I was saying before about you have to be very careful not to fall in the trap of over strategizing and sort of over gamifying this process. I always encourage students to um, try to stay grounded in what they're looking for, what what types of schools, what specific schools, what experiences are, are the best fit for them. And at the end of the day, really, all you can do is put together as strong an application as possible, send that application to a really smart list of schools, and hope for the best. Um, there are certainly uh, things that you can do. We talk about demonstrated interest. We talk about negotiating financial aid packages. There are like things to be aware of, certainly, to give you a little bit of an edge in this process. Um, but at the end of the day, if you start focusing too much on that strategy and too much on sort of um, gaming the process, so to speak, it can be very distracting. And in a worst case scenario, it could end up with you enrolling at a school that wasn't actually what you wanted. It was just, you know, the best in terms of the numbers or had the lowest selectivity rate or whatever um, arbitrary factor kind of sneaks into that process. I would also say if you're looking at statistics like yield um, and even on a larger scale, things like rankings to assess the quality of a school, um, I think that's a good starting point, but it's much more important to look directly at the things about a school that you care about. So you see X school has a really high yield rate. Oh, that must have a really strong academic program. Great. That's a good starting point. Now go on the website and look at the business department's website, look at the classes that they're offering um, and find out whether or not it actually does have what you're looking for. A high yield rate might mean that they have a great academic program. It might just mean that they admit 75% of their students through early decision. It could mean a lot of different things. These statistics can be indicators of quality, but it's more important that you're looking directly at the school itself and the things that they offer in order to um, more accurately assess that quality. Yes, definitely. Definitely don't want to over over strategize and and I know that you were you were kind of joking but I do think uh the point that you made about early decision is is a great one and there is a knowledge base article I believe in our knowledge base um the Ivy Wise uh resource hub uh explaining the way this other but related trend uh which is that uh, a lot of highly selective schools have increase the overall percentage of their classes that they admit through the early decision process. And um, a big part of that is that then they're able to guarantee, you know, a certain chunk of students coming in through that process who they know are going to enroll versus students in the regular decision process. And so that's that's another trend to kind of look out for is, um, you know, there are certain colleges that have, you know, more than 50%, even up to 75%, it does exist, uh, of admissions through early decision. 
So that's good to know to compare their yield rate to their early decision rate and, and kind of have that context. But it's also good to know, you know, if you are considering a school as a top, top, top choice and you're feeling unsure about applying early decision, but you are confident that if you were admitted, you would attend and enroll, having the information that they um, have a higher percentage admit rate or that they admit a higher number of students overall in that process could help you make that decision. But it could also, like I said, just give you that additional context to understand that that yield rate might be a, a little bit inaccurate, you know, in, in the greater scheme of things, you know, that's yield because these people have signed a binding contract. Yeah. Early decision really mucks up the numbers in a lot of ways. If you, as a school, decide to accept more students through early decision, if you start to shift that percentage from regular decision to early decision, it decreases your acceptance rate because you don't have to accept as many students for the same number of enrollees. And it increases your yield rate because 100% of those students are committed to enrolling. Those are two numbers that students will look at and, and think of as indicators of quality when they actually were just factors of how many students are we admitting through early decision. Um, so definitely important specific context to keep in mind, but also as sort of a general, if you take anything away from this, um, be wary of strategizing, be wary of numbers. <laughs> they're, they're generally reflective of, um, of quality and the things that you're looking for, but they can also be fairly easily manipulated. Um, and so over-focusing on them um, could certainly lead you astray. Yes, absolutely. Over-focusing that idea, but being aware and understanding the context behind some of these rankings that might be um, influencing your decisions, I think is very important. All right. So that just about wraps up this episode of Just Admit It. Thank you so much for being on, Carolyn. Thank you for having me. Of course. So like I said, this is our second to last episode of the season. Uh, so please look up for our final episode, episode 10 uh, in two weeks. We'll be answering the question, what does it mean to be flat or LMO? And I, in fact, did not know what LMO stood for when someone... Um, mentioned it. So, so stay tuned. You'll find out. I don't know what either of those terms mean. So I will have to tune in for sure. There you go. Uh, <laughs> a word of wisdom from one of our colleagues. Uh, but in the meantime, you can catch up on all of our previous episodes by visiting our podcast page and be sure to bookmark our knowledge base, which I mentioned earlier, for additional help with navigating the complex and competitive admissions process. If there are any topics you'd like us to cover in the next semester, please email us at podcast at ivywise.com. And don't forget to follow us on socials for more resources on the higher ed landscape. You can follow us at follow IvyWise. From IvyWise, I'm your host, Tasha, and this has been Just Admit It. See you next time.